Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Would you kindly record a podcast with me, Lucas? (laughs) (laughs) Would you kindly uh, listen to me talk? I said the thing. Uh, That's spoiler. That's huge spoiler territory already at the top of the pod. It's just dialogue, man. There's no context here. Um, But um, if you've played the game we're talking about today, you might have a hint about what we're talking about. But there's um, a few interesting things that have happened recently that I want to discuss. First... Lucas, and I know I just showed you this shortly, about five minutes ago. Uh, they just recently released a demo, and a playable demo for the PS5 and Xbox Series X of yes. Unreal Engine 5, a like Matrix video game that's coming out sometime soon, apparently, in the next couple of years or so. But, oh my god, it looks so good. Yes. It is. Yeah, um, I saw it. I have it up right now. It looks crazy. It looks like the. It looks like better than the movie, almost. Or like It does. I think if you were just glancing... It looks like you're watching The Matrix. Yeah, well, it was crazy, too, because once I watched that YouTube video, I started getting recommended in just, like, my YouTube algorithm feed, whatever. Like, oh, I made this in Unreal Engine 5, and it's just, like, not, like, a lot of moving pieces, but just, like, set pieces of stuff, and it just looks real. It is... It is actually getting pretty close to the point of being undistinguishable, which is insane. I don't know. Like, for me, seeing this gameplay demo... This was the first instance where I really feel like I've seen the generational leap between, like, you know, PlayStation 4 to PlayStation 5 and Series X or Xbox One to Series X. I just really feel like I'm seeing that now for the first time. And it's pretty, pretty, I don't know, maybe even problematic. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny. (laughs) I'm going to say is, like, we've come a long way with, like, realism with, like, computer animation and stuff. We've come a long way since Polar Express. You know, where it's like people look kind of weird. They look real, but there's something about them. It's a little (laughs) off in their eyes. But watching the Matrix like tech demo here, I'm like, you know what? These people look like real people. I think we did it. Yeah. I think we overcame the uncanny valley. Yeah. Pretty nuts. And then so that was crazy. And then just uh, it was either today or yesterday. I forget. Uh, Dr. Disrespect, very well known in the streaming community. One of the more prominent. Um video game streamers out there very entertaining um some controversy around him, but a fun guy i think all around and very entertaining streams if you ever check him out but just announced that he is starting his own uh game studio not a not esports organization but game studio which i think is so interesting because um for those i don't know I, I forget his first or his actual name persona but um Dr. Disrespect is actually a, he, he has his roots. Uh, he worked for, I want to say Sledgehammer Games when they were producing Call of Duty and developing it. I want to say he worked for them for a bit doing map design. So he does have a little bit of a game design experience. And obviously it's no secret, you know, most of what he plays on stream and everything like that. And obviously the games he gravitates towards are these, you know, these first person games that typically will also foster some sort of, um, some sort of competitive esport audience as well. So I'm going to be very interested to see what kind of team he puts together and just kind of see where the studio goes. Cause I, I, I'm sure there's been some streamers that have put together like small little mobile games and stuff, but the vibe I get from this is that he's really gunning for a full on, like 
you know, up there competitive gaming title that's up there with the likes of Halo and Call of Duty and things like that. So I'm very interested to see where that goes. And I'm really enjoying just seeing streamers starting more businesses and everything too. Recently, Pokemane totally. started um, basically like kind of a talent consultant agency. talent agency for both brands mm-hmm. and to work with creators as well. Um, if you're looking for a podcast, Pokemane, we are available. Uh, <laughs> Doc Ray started that skincare Doc brand for that Blue Light. Brand. Yeah. Probably kind of crashed and burned, unfortunately, but I think she had good intentions at heart. Um, and I, yeah, I'm really, I'm really enjoying seeing these creators diversify and kind of, you know, expand their business and brand into different, well, for one, potential revenue streams and two different audiences. Because, you know, I'm sure Valkyrie Ray and Dr. Disrespect and Pokemane as much as they love streaming, you know, I don't think they want to, you know, wake up and play games for eight hours, you know, six, five hours a day uh, for, for the, the rest, rest of their, their lives. Life. Especially <laughs> Dr. Disrespect doing it, his whole get up and very eccentric personality that he, his character has. Um, so I think it's great. I, I hope to see more higher profile uh, creators uh, branch out and go into more of the business realm of things. I'd be... Yeah, I'd be curious, you know, if he's developing his own studio, I wonder if his name enough is is enough to compete with, like, the IPs of the Halos, the Call of Duties, the Overwatches, Blizzards, like, the Riots, you know, the people really creating um, and establishing, like, the competitive FPS stuff that's yeah. out there. I'm assuming that uh, Disrespect would kind of go for one of those, with his brand in mind, would go for one of those kinds of games, no? I think, I mean, yeah, literally, I'm looking at the Twitter bio for right now. The name of it is uh, Midnight Society. Um, great name. Great name, yeah. And the bio is just new AAA game studio. Um, so there, oh. I think there's, he's very much trying to compete with those games. And it's going to be very interesting to see what he can do with it. We'll see if he creates a single player experience. We will certainly play the single player experience. <laughs> One of our uh, mainline episodes. Yeah. And if they are going for that, we're definitely three to four years out from experiencing it. <laughs> yeah. Game absolutely. development cycles are very long. Yeah. Unless yeah. they've already been working on it in secret possibly, but I doubt that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure we got a little bit. Hopefully it's not rushed. I hope it comes out. Whatever they do come out with is a high quality product. Maybe with some grappling hooks. I don't know. No, no, I want early access. Early access, yeah. But it's <laughs> I want only it right away. early access. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I want it early at a discounted price, and it it's always an early access. Yes. That's what I want. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> All righty, everyone. Well, um, that's that. And before we get into today's game really quickly, don't forget to shoot us an email if you have any questions. That's uh, thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com. Again, that's thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. You can also check out us, uh, check us out on Twitter and Instagram, TFP Podcasts. That's TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. And in the link tree on both of those social medias, you can find our Discord. Um, as well, you can find our Discord on our website at thanksforplaying.live. And hey, while you're at it, while you're on your phone searching up our, you know, our social media handles, go ahead and go on Apple podcast and uh, leave a, leave a little review for us. You know, tell us how much you love the podcast. Um, tell me what Christmas um, baked goodie I would be. Um, I think I'd be peppermint bark personally. Cause I got bite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I think, um, Hang on. <laughs> I think Lucas would be fudge. Um, fudge is Christmas. Yeah, I think so. I can Let me ask you a Christmas serious thing. question. Okay. Is pumpkin pie Christmas? It 
Pumpkin's just like a fall, early winter thing in general. Pumpkin's acceptable anytime between the months of October and January. Okay. <laughs> There's gonna you just upset so many people that are listening to the podcast. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, come on, man. People are getting their pumpkin spice lattes every 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 day of every every month, so that's true. There's no like Christmas pie is the problem. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. boysenberry pie, that can be like it's like anytime pie, right? You know? Um Yeah. It's just there's like a peppermint mocha, there's like pumpkin pie in the fall that's like very tied to fall, but there's no there's no Christmas pie. There's fruitcake. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not sure I've had a proper fruitcake. Dude, I was just talking about this with the other guys in the playgroup. I have never had fruitcake. I just remember like every every <laughs> like TV show cartoon I watched growing up just depicted fruitcake as like this grotesque like thing your your weird aunt makes and brings to the holiday party like it was never depicted as looking good i don't know why i know and i still don't know what's in it i'm assuming fruit is in it yeah but it could be like one of those things and alec johnson did say sure it is um in regards to the pumpkin pie so um i think it's i think it's settled yeah there we go verdict is uh verdict is out but uh all right everyone wow Lucas, I'm, um, I gotta say, I'm just, well, for one, I don't know if you got this today or if you knew this about me today, but I got the booster shot today for the COVID vaccine. So one might even say that my bio system is going to be shocked from the effects of getting a third dose. It's going to be a little tired tomorrow. Maybe feel a little sick, but that's okay. Um, that's right, Is everyone. That a Bioshock pun today. We're talking about the number one capitalistic supporting slash not supporting philosophical first person survival <laughs> horror it. game. Um, Bioshock. Dun dun dun. Right, that's right. The 2007 first-person shooter single-player adventure game by 2K Boston. Uh, 9.7 from IGN. 10 out of 10 from Electronic Gaming Monthly. 9 out of 10 on GameSpot. Um, Game of the year from (laughs) X-Play. Game of the year from Spike TV Video Game Awards. That's how old old, uh, Bioshock is here. Uh, 97 out of 100 on Metacritic for um, the Xbox 360 version. So pretty, pretty good game, I will say. Yeah, great reviews all around. And uh, before we dive in any further, anyone, I have a feeling most of our audience is probably somewhat familiar with Bioshock and what it's all about. But in case you're not, uh, I'm going to give a quick little synopsis here. Actually, a little longer than they usually are. I want to really make sure I... um, do justice to, you know, kind of building the world of Rapture and kind of what it's all about because I think a brief synopsis doesn't do enough to kind of really paint the picture of this game for someone that doesn't have any context of it. So uh, without further ado, our game takes place in Rapture, a fictional large underwater city planned and constructed in the 1940s by objectivist business magnate 
Ryan, Andrew Ryan, with the goal of creating a utopia where society's elite can flourish outside of government control and morality standards. The philosophy resulted in remarkable advances in the art and sciences, which included the discovery of atom, a potent gene-altering substance which is created by a species of sea slug on the ocean's, uh, on the ocean's floor. Atoms soon led to the creation of plasmids, uh, mutagenic serums that grant the user superhuman powers like telekinesis and pyrokinesis. When demand skyrocketed, certain businessmen even went as far as to plant sea slugs into orphan girls to mass-produce Adam. These little girls became known as little sisters. Eventually, the wealth disparities within Rapture grew, and a war between the working class and the elites of Rapture turned uh, the city into a war-torn dystopia right around the year 1958. Fast forward to 1960, and our protagonist, Jack, is in a passenger is a passenger in a passenger in a plane that goes down in the Atlantic Ocean right by a lighthouse that conveniently has a bathosphere to take him to Rapture. He there when he arrives he encounters Atlas, a survivor of the war who is trying to take down Andrew Ryan and save his family. The player then begins on a journey to explore Rapture, to save or to harvest little sisters for Adam and find out just who the mysterious Atlas really is. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Great synopsis there, without giving too much away either. Um, we are going to spoil a lot of the game here. Going forward, yeah. <laughs> just so everybody knows. <laughs> um, now, I, I want to talk about the legacy that Bioshock has really had. You know, I mentioned it, it had numerous Game of the Year awards uh, the year it came out. I know I joked about Spike TV and X-Play rating it as Game of the Year. But BAFTA, um, which is a body that we've normally leaned on for great video game um, critique and analysis, also gave it best game of 2007. And the Metacritic score of 9600 is some of the highest that we've ever reviewed on this podcast. Um, the game has been touted as you know a, a prime example of video games as art. The twists and moral choices in the video game um, in Bioshock have really... Um, been viewed as prime examples of real moral choice impacting gameplay and impacting story and all that stuff. Um, we're going to dive into probably quite a bit of that. Um, and the gameplay itself um, is touted as just some of the best single player first person adventure uh, video game. And honestly, I think for myself personally, not just what the reviewers say, this might be the, fir the best first person shooter single player game. I've ever played. I can't. I can't think of one that is better, to be perfectly honest. Um, and you know, as something that's exclusively a story-driven single-player experience. Titanfall Two is up there, to be honest. They're single-player, but <laughs> ooh, you got me with Titanfall Two. Yeah, that's true. But that's true. But yeah, um, I, I I think that's something that's in particular really worth acknowledging about this game too, because uh, this came out in uh, August two thousand seven, and I mean. I feel like maybe it's just because this is kind of like what we were playing around that area and like when we were really probably thrown into gaming, like multiplayer gaming and stuff. But I mean, when you think of 2007, we kind of talked about this in like our Spec Ops um, episode we did, right? Like that 2007 to so like maybe 2012, 2013 range. I mean, it was all Call of Duty, single player, or not single player, multiplayer shooters. Like that was the big focus on gaming, right? Um, and then in, in that range, here comes Bioshock, which is just this unique little um, first-person survival horror experience. And not to say there weren't survival horror experiences up to that point, you know, like there were 
um, games like Fear and things of that genre. Resident Evil. Resident Evil. Uh, um, yeah. But those are, you know, what Ken Levine, one of the game directors, wanted to do was, um, you know, he really wanted to just try and, you know, redefine what it really meant to be a first person shooter. And this is probably one of the more notable games that really kind of break free of that linear pathway and kind of give you more of, I guess, um, open area to explore. Um, almost, I don't know, Lucas, I'm not as familiar with the game terms as you are. Is, is it fair to say part of this game is almost Metroidvania-esque with like the open map and kind of running around and being able to backtrack? Yeah, so there's not too much backtracking that I experienced in between areas. But like the um, option to so, backtrack if you want, I guess. Yeah, is, is there... Is there a need to backtrack? Is there like a do you, do you probably to like in platinum it or hundred percent it, but not to just mm-hmm. for like a more of a straight linear playthrough, I guess. Yeah, I'd say that each individual area is like a mini Metroidvania in itself because each area takes advantage of the whole space. Mm-hmm. It's not ext- it's linear in that each area is like a chapter, but each area is like a very open area right? You can kind of go through it. And there's some areas that like I overexplored, like where I just kind of went through every nook and cranny. Um, the mall area, I was like all over that, <laughs> like the, where all the shops were, yeah, the yeah, record yeah. store. You that, that area was like a true Metroidvania where you were like made to go to different places and like explore the whole entire section. That was totally cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's um a very unique game. I think in that came out during a time that was just very focused on probably more of the uh, multiplayer experiences, I think. Totally. Totally. And, you know, playing it now, I mean, this is 2007. This is 14 years ago. And I think not a lot of games age as well as this game does. Um, I mean, just jumping into initial thoughts here, I thought this was a pretty sick game. Um, I've played it before. Um, without ever finishing it. I think I've tried numerous playthroughs of Bioshock. Um, I mean, 2007, I was... I mean, I was 12 years old when Bioshock came out, um, which is pretty insane. Um, And I I wasn't quite old enough, I think, to understand, one, the themes, but I just wasn't old enough to even purchase the game. Um, Didn't really have a system to play it on back then. We were a really big Nintendo family, as I've talked about before, so didn't really have an avenue Mm -hmm. to play Bioshock. And... I think playing it all these years later, it still really is great. Um, I think like the choices of different plasmids and loadouts you can have, there's plenty of passive abilities. There's tons of different variables from hacking to security cameras, turrets, um, different elemental play, fire, electricity plays a role in this game quite a bit. Um, You'll have a completely different set of rules if there's water in your area as (laughs) as opposed to ice. Yeah. Um, which is really advanced uh, thinking in terms of games. I mean, things have chemistry in this world. Things have, you know, reactions in this world. And I think um, they just really, really nailed it for for back then, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I know this was your first playthrough, but um, I, had a, I had played this through several years ago, I think around maybe four or five years ago. Um, I went through all these for the first time in the Bioshocks. And... I mean, like, damn, I just, I don't know how you felt about your game first time playing, you know, playing through it. But for me, it's just like, I mean, I think we've established on this podcast, I scare pretty easily. And I was just (laughs) blown away, just kind of the, it wasn't like outright horror, I think, but there were so many moments where 
I was just genuinely like kind of on guard, I guess, you know, we're just kind of very carefully turning corners or just very being mindful of my surroundings in the game. Cause I, I was a little stressed. I was, I was a little, a little nervous, you know? And I was just so impressed with how well that game brought that back. And I mean, I don't know. Have you played any of the other Bioshocks, Lucas? This is my first Bioshock. Uh, I can't speak for Bioshock 2, but this game and Infinite, they both have just such incredible um, openings, right? That just kind of like um, just throw you into this fantastical world, right? I mean, I, I think the very opening of Bioshock is probably one of the more cinematic things, right? I mean, there's so much world building, world building in those first 20 minutes where you get these like close-up looks at the splicers, you know? get close to look at the big daddy fucking up a splicer and then i mean when you first yeah, enter the world awesome. when you first go down in the bathosphere you just see this crazy underwater world and i mean it's like it's like the atlantis you're told about right you know you're you're waiting to see little mermaid and sebastian come up and sing a song but they don't <laughs> they don't come they don't. um <laughs> the opposite quite the opposite up. and it's just such a and the music that's playing is just it's very awe-inspiring i guess it just like instills a sense of wonder and it just makes you want to explore this world and i don't know about you but for me i just wish i had the opportunity to see rapture in its prime like before everyone was addicted to plasmid you know and it was just like a hustling bustling underwater utopia i would have loved to have like yeah, more me too um, like flashbacks to that somehow or just a little bit more of that in one way or another because I mean, even exploring the war torn and just like dystopian, terrifying, destroyed version of it was so fun just seeing going through the, the city. So I would have loved to. S- I just want to know how it got built. Right. Yeah. Like, how do you yeah. how do you build a city underwater? <laughs> just like so, I was hoping that I hear more about. I'm sure there was some little inklings of that in the like in the found audio yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But I was like always like, man, how did they just build that? Yeah. you know I wanna, um, one of the biggest things i do yeah. want to mention really quickly just first impressions again i fucking love atlas's voice actor carl carl hanover yes so so good like oh is it the same person playing fontaine after the i twist? think it's different i think it's different okay yeah spoilers gotcha uh, <laughs> um but yeah it's just, oh he's like my name's atlas and i'm gonna keep you alive it's like oh boyo Boyo, <laughs> pick up that wrench, Boyo. <laughs> Those, Those are the, splicers. Those are spli- <laughs> you gotta watch out for the splicers. Oh, yeah. Damn, it's pretty good. That there's a big daddy, and there's the little sisters. <laughs> Just such so good. <laughs> yeah, no, like you said. I mean, I agree with everything. Is like the way that you're slowly introduced to the world is like every single promise that the marketing and advertising for the game, even the poster, like, and the loading screens, and like everything totally gets fulfilled within like the first 30 minutes where you crash a plane, you immediately take, like, you immediately take control of your player, of the player, the character within like the first five minutes of the first, of the opening, right? So from the moment you hit new game, you're basically start the game. Uh, there's a shortcut scene of a plane crashing. You go through and you go down the elevator and you're already like, bam, thrown into this world. Like the moment that the lights turn on before you get to the elevator and you hear Andrew Ryan's voice and it's that statue, I forget, but it's like, you're not quite sure the tone or like the ideology quite yet. It feels like 
maybe communist ideology or like some sort of different political thing other than like American capitalism. And it says, I think it says like to, to every man his own, or it says something like political at the very start. And then you go down in the elevator and then Andrew Ryan's voice kind of reads along and says, is every farmer not entitled to his food? <laughs> it says like, it says like this whole thing. And it even says, it says two opposing ideologies, which really throw you off. It says, uh, you know, is not every man entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington. No, says the man in Moscow. So like, it's kind of these two opposing like Cold War ideologies that Andrew Ryan instantly hates both. Like the, whatever world was built here under the ocean is neither. And you're like, okay, where am I going here? And you immediately get introduced to Rapture, you know, which the whole city itself is a character. Um, there's all these really colorful like NPCs that you encounter, Atlas, Andrew Ryan, the Splicers, um, all this found audio. But the Rapture itself is just iconic. I mean, straight up, like I loved every second of being in that city. I thought that it was great to explore, even though like it was cool. Like, oh, here's the mall. Here's the shops in Rapture. Oh, here's someone's apartment in Rapture. Here's like a luxury apartment. And then when you even explore like, the engine rooms and like the thermal like heating like thermal vents underwater where like some of those areas are is like whoa here's like the kind of powerhouse of rapture that's like using thermonuclear or thermal energy from like the ocean floor to generate heat it's like this is cool you know and i i loved every aspect of like exploring rapture itself for sure i think you are muted a little bit matthew Yes, I was. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I just think they do such a good job of kind of world building for one through the audio logs. And again, just like in those first 20 minutes of everything and like just through exploring the um, exploring everything. Right. And I, I, I know I said that I wish you got more like flashbacks or more visuals of what it looked like in its prime, but you can imagine pretty well what it was like in its prime. Right. Um and yeah, you touched on as well the kind of like, I I think this game dives really heavily into some philosophical things. Um, I know I said it in the synopsis as well how, you know Andrew Ryan like he's um, I believe the flaw the philosophical viewpoint he has is ob objectivism, and I'm not exactly sure. I I unfortunately ran out of time to really do a lot of research on that, but um, a lot of it is just kind of like like your first priority is yourself is kind of what I got from the little reading I could do again. If I'm wrong, someone please write in and tell me thanks for playing pod at gmail.com. But like a very capitalistic like mindset basically, but not like just outright capitalism, you know, very, very laissez faire, obviously very kind of like, you know, the self is the most important, I think is what I was getting from it. So I think that's all very clear kind of the way he was trying to, build the world right because i mean you even get some audio logs from him where he's talking about um how like oh man you know i'm getting a lot of pressure pressure to um regulate these plasmids because you know everyone's getting addicted you know and then he's like naming off the terrible side effects like oh insanity blindness death and he's just like but you know what i you just gotta have you know patience with the market it'll work itself out is basically what he says <laughs> um, i'm just like interesting and I mean, you know, it's kind of 
interesting for a game to tackle and in in such a unique environment for a game to tackle what these political things may implications may have if taken to some extremes. Right. Um, Because I mean, obviously do we live in a capitalistic society? Yes. At least here in America, we do the U S we do. Um, However, is it like outright total laissez faire, no regulation? No, not at all. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of regulations. It's not uncommon for, deals to get blocked by like congress if like a like just recently nvidia tried to acquire i think some other like some supplementary something that'd be supplementary to the graphics processing business and basically the um they blocked that yeah the ftc was like uh we're gonna take you to court over that one chief <laughs> to make <laughs> yeah, sure i that's think cool. I, I remember verizon and at&t had a similar thing mm-hmm. if i recall correctly yeah. where like they were trying to merge and they were like nah not nah, fam. Yeah. Andrew Ryan would have been very upset. Right. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> that, those parts, <laughs> he says this. So he's like, oh, should, um, should the food, or yeah, when he's like, oh, should the farmer be entitled to his food or whatever? It's like, no, the, the Congress says it should go to the poor. And he's like, oh, yeah. No, <laughs> the, the, the communists Moscow. say it's, Moscow says it's everyone's food. You know, it's just like, yeah, yeah. I was like, what does this guy believe? Yeah. Here? And it was so interesting <laughs> too, cause he was even pointing out like odds, like problems with American capitalism, which I thought was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. an American government. So he's like just the most hardcore. I won't even say like right wing conservative. Cause I don't think those go one in one necessarily, but just like the most financially like, laissez fares like as as laissez fares you could possibly get with your mentality of things totally and i thought it was he interesting was based to... on go ahead he, he was based on uh rockefeller jr actually really um john d rockefeller jr yeah i was, I was reading a little bit about that and um at least his spirit you know the mm-hmm. kind of industrious super rich uh man that he was and like the get it done by yourself spirit that he embodied um, especially like kind of for the 20th, mid 20th, early 20th century vibe that, um, that the team at 2k Boston was really going for here, yeah. but interesting parallel there. Absolutely. Um, Lucas, uh, did, did this game click for you or click, click for you? I have a feeling you did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the, I mean, this was like one of many playthroughs that I attempted over the last few years. So, um, you know, I don't think it, I think, trying to think back to when I first played the game, you know, when you start getting more plasmid selection and gun selection, um, the game really starts coming together and coming into its own, where you have different guns, different ammo for those guns, you have different plasmids and different plasmid loadouts, um, you start acquiring some money and some atom. And acquiring your different rewards and upgrading and upgrading. And I think it's it, it really starts clicking the moment where you get multiple like guns and plasmids. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if there's a specific moment, but I know that like when you first realize that you can shock someone with your left hand and then swing your wrench at them with your right hand after you stun them, it's like, okay, this the interactivity between plasmid and weapon in the game design is very solid. Like it's very fast to switch between um it's fun to shock people and then hit them with a wrench yeah yeah. the ragdoll is awesome i think atlas (laughs) literally has a line where it's like 
<laughs> that's right, boyo. The old one too. <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> there you him, go. Stun him with the because uh, yeah, the the electric plasma is the first one you get. He's like, oh yeah, stun him, then whack him with a wrench. And it's just like, yeah, oh, it's thank perfect. you, Irish man. <laughs> what about what about you? When did when did it click? I mean, yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Because I had already played the game. Um, I had relatively recent memory of it, so I kind of knew very much like what to expect going into it. But it's really when you do get those first plasmids. Um, and really, once you start to acquire more than one plasmid and have like the opportunity to switch between multiple, because and I think just kind of segueing into game design here, I, I think what the game does so well is just, you know, the, the main mechanic is like, yeah, it's a first person survival game, a um, little bit of horror in there. And your main way of fighting is plasmids and guns. And the game, what the game does so well is giving you a way to fight no matter really what your loadout is, I think. Because I think a lot of games are guilty of... Uh, and we kind of talked about this in Cuphead, right? Like, Cuphead, there were a lot of different loadouts you could do. But I think just, you know, if you're trying just to get through the game relatively easily... For the most part, the tracer is the best thing to use, probably with the invincibility dash, right? And mm-hmm. of course, you can get through the game with other options, but I think that in that game, it's like, oh, very clearly leaning into this loadout. Whereas once you get, you know, once you're playing Bioshock, I felt that no matter what loadout you're using, it was as potentially as equally as potent and could equally be tailored to your playstyle as any other loadout could. Because, I mean, there's so many different plasmids you can use, whether it's, you know, bees, freezing people, electricity, fire, uh, hypnosis, putting out decoys. Um, so, so many different ways to approach the game in combat that it just really adds a very good layer of depth to the game. And it adds depth, but it doesn't overly complicate it. You know, it's just, it's it's very totally. simple, which I thought is I was, so, so good. I was going to say that. Yeah, I think that it's it's not overcomplicating things. And also, each loadout will compensate for certain weaknesses you have at the time. So there were times in the later portions of the game where I was really low on ammo, and I just couldn't, I just didn't have resources, but I found a gene swap. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to get the decoy, and I'm going to get the freeze, like the freeze ray or whatever. And I was no longer electrocuting people and stunning them and trying to be super offensive. I started playing more defensive because I just didn't have a lot of ammo for that section. Yeah. So until I found like a, you know, ammo bandito, <laughs> just <laughs> a hilar- most hilarious vending machine of all time. Um, I, I, you know, changed up my play style to fit the certain situation I was in with the limited resources that I was scavenging for. Yes. So I think that it was, it was really fun picking and choosing how you approach certain situations. I love that I can solve really any problem with a different loadout even though and the consistent is that all the guns remain the same right so the guns are always constant it might change like depending on the ammo you have for each gun but you know that like you know that the smg is just going to work in most situations if you have the ammo right so uh, that's that's one thing and it also depends on the environment if there was a lot of water i was like you know what grab me that electricity just going to shock like three people at a time and just hammer them down with the pistol, you know? So it was, it was really cool to be able to solve those problems in a really unique way, um, depending on the section for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And a little bit, um, you know, something I thought, uh, I'm kind of excited to get into this a little bit because 
you brought this up to me a few days ago. Um, and I was just, I was fighting you on it, but as I reflected on the game, I kind of started to agree, but there's definitely, I think some flaws. I think you kind of mentioned already how there was one point where you ran out of ammo and you were just waiting for the next vending machine. And I find that there is a lot of points like that in the game. I know, I don't <laughs> yeah. think that running out of health kits or plas or Eve for your plasmids was too much of an issue. However, I was constantly wondering, okay, where's the next, you know, circus of value or ammo bandito. Right. Um, totally. I, I was going to save this for nitpicks, by the way. Yeah, well, I mean, we can brush on a little bit now, but I mean, I think that's uh, worth bringing up in game design too because it was like an actually like a, a very cognizant thing and it wasn't even like, I mean, again, it's a survival horror game, right? So it's, of course, there's going to be some sort of ammo um, ammo thing that you're trying to save or some sort of ammo um, kind of, why can't I words right now? Yeah. Words a resource conservation like, system is what we're looking for. Yeah. Resource exactly. management. Yeah. Um, but it was just kind of like resource management for the sake of resource management, I guess. Yes. That that's the point. I think, I mean, you, you kind of nailed it on the head right there. I think, and this is my super massive hot take. That's going to blow up the whole video game industry, turn it upside down. <laughs> um, and again, I, I know I just talked about how you can compensate for not having ammo by running different plasmids. But that being said, um, scavenging for resources in any game is not fun. No. <laughs> it just is was what I've realized after playing some, some more Bioshock is it, it's, it's a chore to do. Uh, unless you have a game where the base mechanic is like collecting resources and building things off those resources like stardew valley or like runescape or something i was gonna like, say like the only resources... time i really have fun those kind of games is where valheim valheim like where it's just like yeah. a bunch of guys just fucking around or your friends that you're playing with whoever that may be and just running around and going on stupid quests to try and get just enough <laughs> yeah just enough iron for so one person can maybe have enough <laughs> armor to fight a boss you know <laughs> it's, yeah exactly you know. and that's like i mean that's a different like genre it's a different experience entirely because it's like the game itself is is a resource game and like gathering resources and gathering resources itself is like a little bit of a game because you know you might have to like get this other resource in order to make that more that gathering more efficient or like a tool might be a little bit more appropriate different types of things uh would would make that a little bit different but if every action you take in the game to move forward is draining a resource that is non-renewable, it's pretty annoying. Uh, like you need ammo to fire your gun. You need Eve to shoot a plasmid. Um, and I think that from some of the best games that we've played, that's a renewable resources. That's a renewable resource. Like control has no ammo, right? Control is instead more focused on you can't shoot too much of your gun at once. Otherwise, you just like kind of overheat, um, overheat. But yeah, you overheat. And I think heat is like a really interesting mechanic when it comes to guns. It'd be cool if in Bioshock, it was sort of a heat like system where you just couldn't fire too much ammo at once. But instead, it's all about like conserving resources over a long period of time until you find the next vending machine. Because the thing is, is that you're going to loot every body you find. You're going to find money. You're going to hack the vending machine and then get all your ammo back yeah. anyway. So you're, it's just a long winded way of refreshing 
the thing that control does passively. So I think it just adds another layer that's just not that fun to to, to play around with. Um, and on top of that, I mean, if you die, you just revive at a Vita chamber. So you can you can sheer perseverance your way through everything if yeah. you really want to, where yeah. like you can kind of just die and then wake up and then hit somebody with a wrench, die, wake up, hit somebody with a wrench, just <laughs> keep doing that if you really want to. Um, doesn't sound very fun at all, but you wouldn't be wasting any resources. Yeah, exactly. So that's my massive hot take um, when it comes to scavenging. That's my big criticism. Um, and it's really just the way I think I think a lot of games have just really been designed that way because a lot of games have just been designed that way. And I think it's just sort of a, more of a tradition. And maybe we, we're going to start seeing games move away from that. I mean, I just mentioned Control and Hades, which don't do that. And they're the best combat, like on both ends of the spectrum, you know, melee, you know, over the shoulder, third person shooter, whatever. They're, they're doing both of those kind of genres very, very well. Um, so maybe we'll see more. Yeah. Gonna be interesting um, in the future to see how that all, all that plays out. Definitely. Um, moving into art style, Lucas. Um, Rapture is fucking sick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Art Deco, man. Um, like retro futurism type shit. Really cool. Yeah, I mean, for one, I I, I kind of already mentioned it with first impressions, but. Just that that first instance where you enter into the world and you just see everything and it's just like, holy shit, I get to explore this underwater, like Wonderland, basically. You know, it's very, um, it's exciting. It really is. And it just, yeah, creates that sense of wonder. And then something else that you also kind of touched on was like, it's just interesting to see how like an underwater city would potentially actually be designed you know um yeah how like oh maybe this is how like you know you need the pressure here like you said like there was like the water heating thing you noticed or whatever so things like that are so cool and then something i think that they do very well with art is they kind of tell the story through art right and give like hints to certain things a great example of this is um in cohen's exhibits you are able to you find um so atlas one of the plot points is Atlas is trying to have you find his help him save his wife and his daughter. And then he says, Oh, their names are Patrick and Moira. And then when you get to Cohen's exhibits, which is like one of Ryan's goons, that's trying to help him out. Uh, Andrew Ryan is there's like a, like a play poster, like, Oh, Patrick and Moira. Right. So that's when you can start to kind of gather like, Oh, like, why are these the same name? Why would you do that? Oh, maybe he's kind of fucking with me. Maybe there's something something going on here right so little things like that are so good and then i mean honestly just in general as well i think i mean i I, i'm pretty sure we both played the remastered version of this game but it looks very good like really really good honestly even by considering it's the remastered version because i remember i played the original on xbox 360 and i mean i think it looked great then i think it looks great now and is absolutely worth uh worth anyone's time even just on the graphical way i mean the the i mean the design for big daddies are like so terrifying right like just the design of the splicers and everything and i don't know it all just comes together so well to create such a immersive and scary and suspenseful world totally totally i 
I mean, I love like I think the overall like look, feel, and aesthetic of of Bioshock was part of its selling point even back in the day. If you look at the poster and you see a big daddy and a little sister, it immediately feels like it's from a different point in time. Like it doesn't feel like you're gonna play a game that's set in the present. The little sister has like a 1950s, 1960s like little girl dress. You know, and like the the big daddy looks like a scuba diver from like the the forties. Yeah, you know? exactly. it's like it's so it's so cool immediately. Kind of how they're tapping into um, this sort of thing we all feel, and um, it's kind of funny. You know, I think as an American audience, we completely and immediately understand the visuals and the themes that we're looking at, right? Without even really realizing, like, whoa, like that looks familiar. I don't know where I've seen this, but it looks familiar. You know, and I, I like as soon as I do more research, I realize that like the statues that you see in Rapture, especially the one at the beginning when you walk in, is like Atlas from in front of the General Electric building in New York City. You know, so you start seeing like this sort of inspiration from real American life, which is like where Andrew Ryan would have come from and how and why or you know, what his inspiration was when he built Rapture. Yeah. You know, and it's like all fitting this very extravagant, opulent art deco sort of theme you know it just looks it just looks awesome i mean the whole thing um from the furniture to the art on the wall you know to the design of the buildings interior exterior and even like the way like you gotta think like even the way you walk through the tunnels like when you're walking through the tunnels to move from like one section to the other and you're walking through like a water tunnel the way that the glass and like the metal and even the door that opens, like it sounds and feels and looks like something like from that era. Right. Yeah. You know, I think even the doors say like Securis or Securis or something. It's like a non-English word that like is a little nice touch that that's on the door even to like out, go out towards like those tunnels. I don't know. It's like everything was so well thought out and, and concepted going into building building Bioshock for sure. I mean, yeah, the big thing, right, is it looks and feels like something that was built in the 40s, you know? And Yeah, yeah. They, they, totally. really, they really do execute on that. Um, going into sound design, uh, how did you – I don't really have too much comments to say other than I thought the voice acting from everyone was great, whether that was an individual Same. splicer, a little sister, a big daddy. <laughs> It's charging at <laughs> yeah. you know? terrifying. Um, it was all it was all great, and I mean, just like like the surgeon that you run into is just so clearly deranged. Cohen's just I don't know. Everyone was so so good, and things like this makes me really wish that professional voice actors would get more love in the movie industry, like animated movie industry. Um, I agree. I mean, I definitely, to be clear, I absolutely believe there's some, um, you know, A-list actors that normally do screen acting that could absolutely put in incredible performances on, um, you know, the voice on a voiceover role. However, I really, I feel like a lot of times they're brought in just for, I mean, obviously they're just brought in for, you know, the celebrity factor. I mean, I think that's why we had whether you're looking at, um, you know, Chris Pratt being cast as Mario or whether you're looking at Daisy Ridley, <laughs> um, Willem Dafoe, and oh, I forget the other guy's name from James McAvoy. James McAvoy, 12 Minutes, or 
Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk. <laughs> Cyberpunk. They're clearly yeah. just there for the celebrity draw, you know? And I, I really hope going forward and just in general in media, and well, for one, in games, I really hope we don't see – I mean, I guess we're starting to see it now recently with Cyberpunk and um, 12 Minutes as of late. We're starting to see a lot more celebrities go into games – whether that's, you know, what we saw with 12 Minutes and Cyberpunk or whether that was with Norman Reedus and Death Stranding. To be fair, I don't, I haven't played Death Stranding, so maybe Norman Reedus gave a great performance there. I don't know. but And those are kind of interesting, too, because there is, like, mocap involved in that, but when it's outright sound, like, just voiceover, like it was in 12 Minutes, I'd really love to just have more uh, opportunity for those that, you know, that is their profession, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, Atlas in Bioshock could have easily played like any high quality animated voice in any high quality animated film. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. That we're very fixated with getting the celebrity voice in the film um outright. So, yeah, pretty um pretty interesting for sure. And hey, shout out to uh to the play group in the uh in the live stream chat. Um th- 0 for 3 on people who have played BioShock actually right now in the chat. Just like a quick uh, quick scan there real quick and turns out uh, many of our viewers have not not actually played it before so Dang. hopefully this is some new content for you guys highly recommend lads highly highly recommend yeah, <laughs> for sure but but yeah my my critique on sound design is um how it plays into game design i really really like i think that um and games are usually really good at this but like if i just if i tell you to recall the sound of a security camera seeing you Oh my god! You can immediately recall what that sound is, right? If I can, if (laughs) if if I ask you to recall the like sound of a grenade being launched at you, it's like literally a whistling, like yeah, you're gonna remember that, right? Or even like the um, the Big Daddy themselves. I mean, there's just so many sound cues that feed into your reaction to things in the game. I think that cannot be understated, and. I think games are generally really good at that, but some games are just uh, really drop the ball there. I think that um, Boston 2K really, really knew what they were doing yeah. with the sound design. And yeah, we got Mather in the chat pointing out how they feel like that. Yeah, voice acting and games in general are just really overlooked. And yeah, we definitely, definitely agree. And yeah, such a unique skill set that's very different, I think, from screen and stage acting. But um, for sure. All right, Lucas, I'm excited. I want to hear your NPC award. This shouldn't come as a surprise. My NPC award is Andrew Ryan. Yeah. Easily. Um, (laughs) Is that yours? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. So Andrew Ryan is part of one of my favorite video game moments I've experienced through this podcast. Um, So the the twist, can I I talk about the twist? Big spoilers for the game and coming for the next 30 seconds. Yeah. 30 minutes. So sorry, podcast listeners on the live stream. Um, There is some spoilers going on. So you might want to dip out just for the next two minutes so andrew ryan who is the creator of rapture uh you eventually find him to kill him because atlas uh the voice on the radio has been telling you that he's the bad guy the whole time spoiler alert atlas is the bad guy well andrew ryan might be a bad guy too (laughs) yeah but he's not the not the the bad guy yeah, yeah he's not the bad guy so the whole idea is that turns out you are a are you a genetically created individual or you're like a kind of a test tube baby? <laughs> like so you're Rapture? a, you're actually, you're Andrew Ryan's kid that was taken from his mistress as an embryo and then artificially accelerated right. the aging. Right. So you're actually like a little 
little baby man, basically. And uh, you have been to say you're like a little bitch, basically. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you're a little baby man. And the idea is that you've been imprinted with a trigger phrase, um, which is great because these are actually Cold War era like ideas, Mm -hmm. which is where a sleeper agent can be activated with like a certain phrase that you would use on a sleeper agent. So somebody could be like an undercover United States FBI agent from Moscow, but they don't even know that they are until you say a specific phrase. Then they go kill the president of the United States. So call back here. You are being triggered by a phrase that is, would you kindly? Right? So the whole time Atlas has been saying, would you kindly do this? Would you kindly do that? Pushing you to your next objective and your next objective. And when this is revealed to you, it is pretty mind-blowing, yeah. actually. It's yeah. really fun. Um, and I remember my jaw dropped. It was one of those twists where my jaw actually dropped, and I was like, Because it's what? such a passive phase, you won't really notice it while you're playing it. You just keep saying it. You're just, it's not going to register as, oh, you've heard this three or four times over, right? Yeah. It's just, would you kindly go over to that area? And it kind of replays all those moments really quickly for you when you first meet Andrew Ryan. And basically, Andrew Ryan calls you a slave. Yeah. And he says, like, you're a slave because you obey and like you don't have any freedom is kind of what he's saying to you. And then he says, I think Andrew Ryan says, would you kindly like kill me? He, he does the final blow. Yeah. yeah. He he basically kills himself by using the trigger phrase on you, the player, and you lose complete control of your character and beat him to death. And as you're beating him to death, he's telling you a slave obeys, a slave obeys and like you kill him with you don't have any other choice and like mind-blowing moment npc award for sure because he is basically telling you the player that you'd never had control right you're a slave it's some like stanley parable level stuff it's it's a pretty yeah 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 and what was crazy was like when i was playing through the game i was kind of thinking because there's an er there's an objective arrow at the top center of your screen the whole game and it's just telling you where to go Walk from point A, walk to point B, kill that guy, kill the boss, get some Adam, move on to the next zone. And and the whole time, Atlas is telling you what to do. And I was kind of thinking like, man, I kind of wish this arrow wasn't here because I'm just getting told like exactly where to go yeah. every single second of the game. And then when Andrew Ryan tells me that I'm a slave, I'm like, what? Oh, <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. And then... Yeah. Um, I there. This was a crazy part. I, after this happened, I wasn't sure if this was me accidentally turning off the arrow, but the arrow did go away um, at a certain point a little after when you have to like de-slave yourself. I think I may have accidentally turned off the arrow, but mm. I was like, no way they're that smart. Like <laughs> that I... <laughs> they, I like the arrow. Of, I, I like being guided, to be honest, personally. Yeah. But. <laughs> would you kindly? Yeah, all right. Would you kindly... Um... <laughs> be a slave matt um no yeah i mean that that reveal is so incredible and unfortunately again i had already played bioshock not too long or not more recent enough to where i remember the twist so that was also relatively fresh to me but i mean it's so fun on replay just hearing all the would you kindly's would you kindly this and just kind of looking for certain clues that clearly show things are off so Getting to experience all that again was just awesome. And then, I mean, yeah, Andrew Ryan is my NPC award as well. And I just love seeing someone that is just the most, like, extreme form of, like, laissez-faire capitalism. I think it's so fascinating. 
Uh, I mean, obviously everything's so exaggerated, but like, here's this guy that is so distraught with how governments operate that he says, fuck it, fuck you, fuck America, fuck Russia, fuck any government. I'm taking, I'm taking some rich fucks. I'm going down to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean to the bottom of the seafloor. And I'm going to build a city. We're all going to be rich. I'm going to give everyone magic powers. And we're all going to have fun. <laughs> and I don't know. Exactly. I just love that seeing how that extreme could play out potentially. Obviously with some you know, fantasy fiction exceptions here and there. But And hearing his little philosophy snippets are just so fascinating as well. And I'm very curious just to dive into like learn more about like what objectivism really is um, going forward as well. Just to kind of get a better idea of um, some of that as well. So definitely my favorite uh, NPC there. Awesome. Yeah. Um, companion piece pick. Go for it. All right, I'll go first. Um, my companion piece pick is the 1964 dark comedy by Stanley Kubrick. Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Um, Cold War era film, um, 1964. Uh, it's about U.S. forces in a war room deciding to take the first strike or not take the first strike on Soviet Russia. Oh, um, It's considered to be one of the greatest films of all time. It's in kind of an unhinged satire um, on the kind of the Cold War era politicians, um, you know, people deciding who should take the first strike. And it's a lot about mutually assured destruction. Black and white, dark comedy by Stanley Kubrick. And it's really, really great. Um, I think the tone just kind of reminded me a lot of Bioshock. Um, I think this definitely has a lot more humor than Bioshock had. But just that kind of mid-century American, I guess paranoia is the best way to phrase it. Um, where like, you know, your what's driving you as a citizen is really your desire to get away from certain things or you know your desire to rebuild or destroy or both certain things yeah i think even some of the aesthetic and the sets especially the war room in in dr strangelove really remind me of of bioshock in a lot of ways so for those of you that have never seen it definitely check it out um it's kind of essential viewing for any film nerds out there um and yeah just uh really my companion piece pick what about you that is absolutely one that's on my list right now because that sounds really fun. Awesome. Good movie. Um, <laughs> mine's not as cool. I just picked Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's sick. <laughs> that's good. I, uh, Wait, really? The Mariner, baby? Yeah, man. I uh, unironically love Waterworld, and my companion piece is for this one on the basis of a lot of that world is underwater, and Rapture's underwater. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. The movie gets a lot of shit, but I think it's sick. I'll never forget my first day of film class in high school, which is literally just a movie or class where you just watched movies and took like tests on them. They're really easy. She's like, all right, everyone tell me what movies you want to watch this year. And, um, well not tell us, but she had us like write it on paper and then pass it in on like to know you sheets basically. And then she read mine. And then like, without saying like looking at me, she just goes, we are not watching water world. Like, <laughs> like made a point of it. Like I was like, Oh fuck fuck this um, is so on brand that you unironically love Waterworld. it's one of, it's just it's right up there with digimon as far, the digimon movie the american version as far as cinematic masterpieces um <laughs> <laughs> love this but yeah no i, I think Waterworld's a fun movie it's uh it's great go watch it hang out with the mariner it's a good time it sounds like a good um like 
movie party movie. I think it to would watch be, yeah. for sure. Because I think you're either going to get people like you that just like love it, like actually love it, and then people that are just like, "What the? F- Come on, man!" <laughs> but they're, I think they'll be having a good time either way. Yeah, and I forget if it was at, I think it was at Universal Studios. They actually have a pretty cool like. I don't know if they still do. Uh, they do. Oh, they do. Like a pretty good like set like show they do. That's a water world based. That uh, if you're at Universal Studios, I recommend checking it out. Worth your time for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um. All right. A few more. A few more categories here. Uh. Favorite moment. I actually already said my favorite moment, which is the twist reveal. Mm. Um. Where Andrew Ryan makes you kill him. Not sure if that's yours. So I had two because I knew that'd be yours. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so one of mine is definitely that one obviously i mean for all the reasons we've already stated and then two um we'll also just touch on that a little bit more i find it so interesting that ryan has total control over you at that moment and just decides this is how i want to die um we didn't really unpack that one that much i feel like the game doesn't dive into it that much so i would have been very interesting to kind of get more uh reasoning behind that and maybe like more audio logs would have showed that. I don't know. But I had a moment where I I, I had the hypnotized Big Daddy plasmid. And I used nice. that plasmid. And then I had this I had it like upgraded so it lasted a really long time. And then I used that plasmid and then I brought one big daddy following me around like a like a like a dog basically. And I brought it to fight another big daddy. And like I just watched them duke it out. I was like, man, this game is sick. Like, That's pretty cool. That's pretty um, cool. I never thought about doing that. And just like, again, kind of going any back into game design, just seeing how many ways this game can be played and different play styles and things like that are just very, uh, very, very awesome to see. And um, I got a, I got quite the kick out of that, just watching the two giant fucks just duke it out. So, <laughs> Love it. Love yeah. it. Um, all right. I do have a few more for this next category, which is nitpicks. Um all right, let's talk about turrets for a second and cameras. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. Uh, this is an indictment on the whole system, taking the whole thing down. Turrets and cameras are ass. I know they're supposed to be ass in every game, pretty much, but I hated turrets and cameras <laughs> in this game so much. I don't think that they add a layer that's that much fun. You can pretty much run past every camera unless you fuck up. Like, you're just going to be able to run past most of them. And turrets... Okay, this is the annoying part about turrets and cameras. They don't see other enemies as threats. I know. Like, they won't They won't lock on to big daddies. They won't log on to splicers. That is just a logical flaw. My it's only like, logic with that was on. all the splicers were somehow serving Andrew Ryan, but even then, I don't believe that. So, <laughs> yeah. That was the most annoying part. That is a huge nitpick for me. Um and I do have another high-level nitpick, but I want you to hit one of yours first if you got any. Yeah, I got a couple. Um, kind of already touched on it, but yeah, poor use of like ammo conservation to create suspense slash stress. And I wish we had more cinematics in the game. I feel like 90% of the real cinematic moments in the game are all in the first like 20 minutes of the game. Uh, I would have loved if we just got more either more cinematics, like some more cutscenes here and there, but the game again, to compensate for that, does a very good job of like telling the story fluidly. I don't know, but I just would have loved, I I just, I want to see more of Rapture in a more like, I guess, structured way. I don't know. 
and a more third person way or something yeah, like, like outside of your own body. Yeah. Like not experiencing it while I also have like two splicers chasing after me. Um, Oh yeah. I would have loved that. And then, uh, this is just a personal pet peeve of mine. There's just a lot of like, Oh, go run and find this missions. And I just hate those personally. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Those were, those were pretty ass. Yeah. Um, I got a big nitpick here. Um, it's not an indictment on the whole system, but it is something from our good friend, uh, Jonathan Blow. Um, one of my favorite video game minds, uh, the designer of, uh, the witness and braid, um, a very outspoken game or game criticism or, you know, game, game design voice. Um, he actually had a pretty big, uh, take on Bioshock that I actually agree with here. Um, this is back in 2007 when the game came out, he was quoted saying, uh, and he's talking about the, the way Adam works as a resource in the game with the little sisters. For those of you that don't know, um, whenever you kill a big daddy, um, which is the big scuba diver guy, uh, you get to either kill or save a little sister, which is those little girls that are following them around. And when you kill the little sister, you get a resource called Adam. Yep. And then when you save the little sister, you get a little bit less Adam. And the idea is that when you kill them, you're going to get a lot more and it's going to help you in your journey because Adam allows you to get more upgrades, plasmids, health, what have you. Now, Jonathan Blow uh, had a take here and he says, what you're, quote, what you're supposed to do is kill the big daddy, capture the little sister and decide if you want to kill her or rescue her. It's supposed to be a big ethical dilemma. As it turns out, it doesn't matter whether you do either. The game throttles the rewards either way. The very idea of this save or kill dilemma is an architected idea imposed from the top. Quote, the game rules determine the actual meaning of life in the game. And it says, whatever you do to the little sisters doesn't matter. Now, how much the, no matter how much the game tries to convince you that it does. I am going to soft agree with that one because mathematically you get the same amount of Adam. You oh, get 10%. You actually get 10% less Adam if you save them. That's it. But when you say every three little sisters that you save, you get an additional award in the form of like a teddy bear that gets delivered right, to you, yeah. which makes up for any Adam that you lose. So mm. ultimately you end up with 10% less Adam. And at the end of the game, I had so much excess Adam. <laughs> it was just like the 10% was yeah. negligible. Uh, yeah. So I do think that there was this weird miss where like the game should have been way, way harder if you saved every little sister, but it probably was around the same level of difficulty. But the promise in the story is that the game, you're making a sacrifice by saving them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I mean, that's just kind of like, it's like just fake choice, basically. Um, <laughs> where did you find Jonathan Blow talking about it? I'm kind of, it's pretty specific. Uh, it was linked over on, on Wikipedia. The The website is uh, gamasutra.com, uh, game developer blog here. And this is, again, uh, all the way back from 2007. Um, people, people love or hate Jonathan Blow for his outspoken opinions, but, um, I think he was pretty on the money with this one. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I'll give him that one. Um, cool. Would you play other developers from this game? Yeah, absolutely. I'm guessing you would as well. I yeah, mean, I've played absolutely. infinite. Yeah, for sure. I haven't played two. I'd, I'd be curious to go back. Yeah. He actually plays a big daddy in two. Really? Yeah. Do you have the stupid visual, uh, POV not as egregious, or I don't think as it is in, um, as it is in uh fuck bioshock 
that we played today or if that, this... that moment was so cool you finally become a big daddy but just the the visual fov is like uh just absolutely <laughs> it's just, yeah yeah um, for sure but yeah i i absolutely want to play bioshock 2 and infinite after this yeah and then yeah i think they're coming there's rumors of a bioshock 4 that's gonna be like set in space or something or the arctic yet to be confirmed but very interested to um see that when it will be and then yeah uh final conclusive thoughts against the segway of approval for me absolutely lucas how about you seal of approval for me um i think even now you know 14 years later this game has aged very well if you're ever looking to play a game that's really gone down in history um and you have a weekend to kill uh bioshock um is on there i'm sure you can find it for five ten bucks on steam um it was free on game pass so (laughs) you know it's, it's the perfect little thing to play for sure absolutely yeah and on playstation now too if you're using that one uh alrighty so we have reached the point where lucas and i will each give our ratings out of 10 this is the ultimate rating system that upsurps everything else lucas on when i say yeah okay okay when i say yeah we'll give your rating three two one yeah eight nine oh. oh wow yeah i don't know maybe it's because I, re- I, I this is my second time playing it through it shouldn't hit quite as hard mm-hmm. uh but yeah i think the security bots just got to me <laughs> i hated the security bot yeah um, i don't know i think i really um despite the criticisms with some of the story aspects like i brought up i just love that twist with andrew ryan i think it was really really some of the best twists i've seen mm-hmm. um and the the core gameplay the scavenging you know i, I, I don't want to fault the game too much i i do find that game design principle very annoying when you scavenge but i also do believe that that's a product of the time I'm not sure how much of a concept there was of heat like control has um, for a game in the in the era of Bioshock, right, two generations ago, so game design principles were different, and I think that's just how how games were really developed. So, yeah, I don't want to fault it too much, but I'm hitting it with that nine. Um, you know, I think it's a game worth playing um, for a number of different reasons, which we stated. Yeah, absolutely love it. Alrighty, dang, that was a fun episode. Uh, all right, everyone, yeah, for sure. If you want, you can hang out with us. Shoot us an email. Thanks for playing pod at gmail.com or you can shoot us um, a DM on Twitter, Instagram at TFP podcast. That's TFP podcast, then S at the end. And of course, as well, you can also find uh, in our Twitter bio and Instagram bio, our link tree links to various things as well as our discord uh, coming out the discord guys. It's a good time. We have a great community in there and um, a lot of fun. We have a good, we, uh, we have a really solid little community in there. Actually, it's a good time and, absolutely the best way to reach both lucas and myself so highly recommend that and then yeah if you want to hang out with your good buddy matt you can find me on twitter at good idea matthew that's right and uh, if you want to ever find me online i think discord is the best way to really look um you could like matt said you could find me by going to our discord server by traveling to our website thanksforplaying.live feel free to shoot me a dm in the discord and um talk to me about any opinions uh I know that uh, by the time Bioshock comes out, we will have talked about uh, card games a little bit. Um, I think we did one on Nolan Bushnell recently. Uh, you know, did one on notable horror games. There's a lot of good content we've been putting out, so I'd love to hear some feedback on it. Maybe you want to debate me. Maybe you think I'm wrong. Tell me why. Love it. All right, everyone. This has been... Thanks for playing.
Catch you next time. Skip it up. Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle.